Hey, everybody. It's me, Kevin Stevenson. You've joined me on I Don't Care with, yeah, me, Kevin Stevenson. Uh, got a really interesting guest and really importantly, a fellow Baylor Bear, Dr. Kristen Dickerson, the founder and CEO of Green Imaging. Kristen, welcome. Jo uh, welcome to uh, I Don't Care. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. So you are a board certified radiologist, right? Correct. Tell me a little bit about your career and then let's get into green imaging and, and why and how that got started. Okay. Well, um, I trained um, in Houston at University of Texas at Houston. Um, both went to medical school there, did my internship uh, downtown, did a transitional year at St. Joseph Hospital in Houston. And then I interviewed all over the country for radiology residency and everybody kept saying, why aren't you staying in Houston at MD Anderson? And so I decided to stay in Houston at MD Anderson and uh, never look back. And it really had the one of the best faculties in the country in radiology. Um, and it was a tremendous opportunity to train in the Texas Medical Center. So it's a great, great start. And um, then I moved across the street in the Texas Medical Center to Diagnostic Clinic of Houston which um, was in was and still is an independent practice. It was a multi-specialty group with about 50 doctors at that point in time. Um, a hospital that was owned by some of the doctors next door that's now become part of Methodist Hospital. And um, it was mostly an outpatient practice, but we did cover the hospital nights and weekends. And it was old fashioned radiology, pushing catheters and doing myelograms and upper GIs and barium minimas and all the the bread and butter exams. All the fun stuff. Okay. Yeah. And so um, pretty quickly I discovered um, we had a new um, business manager who came in and I went to diagnostic clinic because I never wanted to be in the business of medicine, which is, has really turned out to be interesting. Somebody brought me a big box of all the what we called yellow tickets that were the exams that I did nights and weekends when I was away from my kids um, over at the hospital that we couldn't bill for because the hospital wasn't giving us enough demographic information or clinical information or whatever we need. And, you know, as you know, that at that point in time was, you know, millions of dollars probably. And um, so I decided to get into the business of medicine. I wasn't going to work for free. And I was president of the clinic within a couple of years and um, ended up, interestingly, because as, as it's kind of shaped the rest of my career, uh, running a self-funded healthcare plan there. And, you know, we were direct contracting um, for care 20 years ago before it was cool. So really how I got, it was my MBA in um, healthcare because I had a CEO and a CFO and, you know, that I learned from. And really enjoyed that period of time. It was a great launching pad. That's great. So, so how did green imaging come about? Because I find it fascinating, uh, particularly looking at your website. Well, I you, from there um, they ended up associating with a hospital system and that had imaging. And we had already transitioned. We as we digitized our department, we had too many radiologists, so we started. We formed a group, started taking outside work. And so we transitioned out of diagnostic clinic. We ended up staffing um, another fantastic outpatient multi-specialty group, which was Medical Clinic of Houston, which is 
edge of the medical center. But at Diagnostic Clinic, we were partners. We were, you know, we were part of the clinic. At Medical Clinic of Houston, they just wanted contractors. And that didn't, I didn't like that um, as, as much. And so I wanted to have control of my business and started. What happened is I was getting phone calls from friends as deductibles were rising. Um, from people at, down down the hall at the Methodist Hospital saying, do I really have to pay $3,000 for this MRI? And the answer at that point in time was yes, because Riverx Imaging had been purchased by Memorial Hermann. I took a lot of the, the in-network um, independent practice, you know, and independent practices out of the market. Um, suddenly, you know, overnight the prices tripled and many of them went away. And um, so, you know, I got the idea that we needed affordable imaging here. Um, and looked around at all these imaging centers I was reading for that were operating out of network and because they could make more money and they were at 50% capacity. So it didn't seem that um, opening a new imaging center was the answer. And a lot of models that were using untapped resources were emerging at that point in time, like Travelocity. Started doing some investigating and it turns out the Stark laws allow radiologists to do very lenient lease arrangements with imaging centers because we're not referring physicians. We're not directly benefiting from that. There's not the, you know, the risk of self-referral. And so I'm, you know, realized I was able to do per-click lease arrangements and buy the extra capacity at the imaging centers I was already reading for and, um, you know, read the study, pay them a flat fee, we would interpret the exam and then bill globally for the exam. And we could save people a lot of money, at least 50% on what they were paying. Probably, you know, rarely we see it 60 to 80% on what they're paying in the hospital systems. And so that grew throughout Houston, grew throughout Texas, and now we're in 50 states. And working mostly with self-funded healthcare plans at this point in time, helping those employers um, save some money on their employees' healthcare. Okay. So, so how many uh, how many radiologists do you have on your staff? That's growing quickly. We had really, you know, we do read over fifty percent of the exams performed at our network, and it's pretty easy because a large percentage of our lives are in Texas and Florida. Those have just been great markets for us. Um, you know, the new consortium where we're able to easily license across state lines has helped as well. So right now we have about seven radiologists, but we are seeing because of the private equity backed huge radiology groups that are split billing and that, you know, they're uh, aggregating contracts, reviewing the contracts, billing out under the best old contract and you know, the professional fees are going up. We are seeing lots and lots of demand in the radiologist space. So we just talked to uh, two hospitals today that want us to read, you know, what our patients think it's going to be a nice fit. And so, it, you know, we've, we're finding more and more opportunities there. And I never thought we'd grow that business again. It seemed like it was crazy and so competitive, but, um, you know, we can, we, we, we can actually, we've learned enough that we know how to protect ourselves and, um, and yet be fair to patients um, with our pricing. And so I think it's a, it's a nice time for us in that space as well. Okay. Interesting. You know, and, and you hit a point that, that I get a lot as an administrator from friends. You know, why does it cost so much for an MRI or a CT or whatever? And and so 
you know, trying to explain that from the hospital side, you know, and, and you've gone out in there and, and solved it for them uh, on uh, on the uh, outpatient side. So tell me a little bit about your relationships with hospitals, because I get it from, you know, going out and you're reading in, in various diagnostic centers. But what about, you know, are, are you reading, uh, you know, inpatient scans or anything like that? Not at the moment. Um, we, but we, you know, we read a, a lot about, we work with a lot of hospitals, uh, you know, and we will send them our patients because we do these lease arrangements. We're able to work around exclusive agreements with their radiology group um, because it is, you know, we're leasing the time. They're our patients. They're not the hospital's patients. And so that um, a legal way of working around that so that that and it also gives them a way, you know, with the pressure for transparency, it gives them a way to offer flat fee, you know, global rates when their radiology group not, might not be willing to do it. So we have several situations where they're actually referring these self-pay patients our way to access their own services. Um, you know, we really are a nice um, solution for um, for hospitals, you know, because th their, their first reaction is, you know, why don't you just stick with the independent centers? And number one, they're hospital-dominant areas like Waco. Um, and um, number two, it, it's really a good deal for many of them because especially if they have, a, you know, some lesser performing facilities, um, but also because, you know, right now so much of healthcare is actually patient responsibility and doctors and hospitals, if they don't collect up front, they collect 30 cents on the dollar on that. And we actually, you know, the, these are the things that from owning five imaging centers over my career, I know kind of how to fix the pain points for imaging centers and hospitals. So number one, we go chase down that order, you know, that wherever it went to the EMT's imaging center of choice, we go chase that down. We do any auth and verification. And um, there's, you know, there's, um, we do the scheduling process. You know, we do all the screening for the, the hospital or facility. Um, we pay their price and we pay them promptly. So it really is, you know, kind of a no-brainer. Once I can get through to the right people, I can usually say, hey, you know, you may have the potential to get all this money from the plan, but, you know, if the patient has a $4,000 deductible or average now is, you know, 4700 you know, the likelihood that you're going to collect that is very little, especially from these, you know, younger employed patients who are, you know, may likely not to hit their deductible. And so that's, you know, that's somebody you're going to have to collect from and kind of good luck. And that's that's how we've been able to to really, you know, get a groove. We become in a lot of areas, we become the best referral source. So I'd say because Orlando area where we have 10,000 lives in the school district um, there in the school district of Osceola County. We have the Rosen Hotels and other 6,000 members tightly geographically aggregated. We're the best referral source for the independent centers and even for some of the smaller hospitals in that area. Yeah, I would imagine that's tremendous. So, so hey, let's talk about some trends in imaging. Uh, you know, let's talk about, let's lead it off with reference-based pricing. Talk a little bit about that and maybe explain that to, to uh, some of my audience who may not know. Sure. Well, unfortunately, the the only reference that I know of is Medicare. <laughs> and that's used. And the problem with that is, you know, how many different Medicare fee schedules there are. Every state, every region has a different one. And then they have 
um, Medicare Part A and Part B in Texas, where you know one is for hospital systems, one is for doctors' offices and outpatient facilities. And then even then, they're broken out into OPPS and different you know payments. So it's not a very uh, direct reference, to say the least. And then for imaging it's also not a valid reference. Number one, it's set out for Medicaid, Medicare age patients. Um, number two, you know, for the, the cost basis is on Medicare age patients, where these are younger employed patients who have longer lifespan, you know, if they're gonna need a knee replacement, they're more likely to need a, a custom, you know, hardware because they're gonna be on a lot more years and we're seeing a lot of failure. So it's, it, there are a lot of things wrong with it. Um, also, um, imaging has taken cuts, I think it's like 40% cuts over the last 10 years, despite skyrocketing costs. How does that make sense? And so, um, and then there's this differential between an extra chest X-ray in a hospital gets paid 120, chest X-ray in an outpatient center, 20. So, you know, none of that makes sense because their costs, their costs are different. I, there's no, no, you know, that's absolutely certain, you know, hospital has to staff at 24-7. Um, they've got to have more room for wheelchairs and things than we do in independent centers, but it's not that big a differential. It's not a five-pound differential. And so, um, you know, there are just a lot of things wrong with that reference base. And um, it is also, we know, you know, like in the state of Colorado, they only have one fee schedule, but the hospitals pay, I mean, the state pays this kind of unknown sum of money to the hospitals to subsidize it. Well, that's not in there. So it's not a good reference. And so there are lots of reasons that I personally don't think it's valid. I also think some things are overvalued and some things are undervalued. A CT of the abdomen and pelvis without and with contrast pays about $575. An MRI of the knee in Texas pays $237. I mean, you can walk in the room for that, you know, you know. It, especially with the cost of helium right now. And, and so it just doesn't make logical sense in a lot of ways. If you make the multiplier of it high enough, I can take it. You know, so I have, uh, you know, a, I don't know that I have, I think I have one reference-based pricing contract left, but it was a nice multiplier, so I can do it. And things tend to kind of average out. Echocardiography is super expensive on that. And so I kind of make up on echo what I lose on, you know, the MRI of the knee. But is still, it's it's that's not a that's not a good way to do things. And you know, we know that there are market differentials. The strip center on you know the west side of Houston, their costs are very different than the costs in the medical center. And yet, you're given one, you know, fee schedule that makes it really doesn't make sense. So you know, that's and reference based pricing is also tough on I think members of health plans. You know, what's happening is their health plan is going to pay this. And they tell the hospital kind of, you know, or the imaging center, tough if you don't want to accept that. And if you don't want to accept that appeal, but we're probably not going to do much for you. Um, and then they get paid. It's interesting, these companies that negotiate um, the reference-based pricing, they get like a percentage of savings a lot of times. So they, they get paid more than they end up paying the provider, which again, makes no logical sense. So there are lots of reasons I don't like reference-based pricing. I like market pricing. You know, what I found nationally is if I tell imaging centers and hospitals, you know, give me give me a reasonable fee. You know, this is kind of our range in your market. You know, you if you're on the high end, you're gonna see fewer patients. If you're on the lower end, you're gonna, you know, and if, 
If you're on the higher end, but you have openings on Friday afternoon for me to do an emergency Doppler to keep somebody out of the ER, great. I want to have you on my roster anyway. So I really believe in market pricing. I think it makes everybody happy. And then, you know, I have people come back and say, hey, we're not yet seeing any patients. So get that price down a little. And it's it's, so market competition, you know, you, you have to have that flexibility. People say, what are your rates when they, you know, when they want to join our network? And I say, you, you tell me, you know, that that's your, in your knowledge base. Yeah. And I'm sure that's, that's not a, uh, an answer that they get very often. Yeah. So the hospitals so, actually so, have more trouble with it than the imaging centers do. I, I'm sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you guys are, you know, you're disrupting healthcare, which I love. So what's next? Uh, what, what are you thinking about next? You know, um, we have expanded our offerings, um, and that's at our clients' request. You know, they say, our members know how to use you. What else can you do for us? And so we're starting to look at, you know, colonoscopy is a big question mark for the average risk person right now. Um, you know, we're, we, we offer ColaGuard. We offer fit testing if that's what the person elects to do. We offer, all, you know, CT colonography. And, but we're going to do that screening process in front of it to make sure that you are average risk and you're not high risk and need that colonoscopy still. Um, and we, then we're scheduling colonoscopy in most major metropolitan areas. Uh, we have bundles for that. And we're doing EMG, EEG, sleep studies. All those things are just kind of naturally outpatient diagnostic testing we've added. Um, I am thinking about becoming a benefits advisor. That's kind of my next thing. I've, uh, along the way, I've learned so much about health plans and I've got so many plans, you know, people, you know, employers who come to me, they've got green imaging in place, but then they've got this Cigna plan over here and they, they don't have to do that. There's so many other solutions they can put in place. You know, we're an easy kind of a cherry pick um, as a first step, but there's so many other things that they can do. So and um, I'm thinking long and hard about, you know, kind of using what I've learned over the, the years to to be a benefits advisor, because I think that's the next way to really change things. Yeah. Something else I saw. I love the fact that you've got, you know, your, your blogs on your website are, are quite educational. You know, reading a couple of those, I think you're, it sounds like you're pretty passionate around uh, calcium scoring. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, I love, you know, we're really working on what are what are good screening exams. So much of the data on screening exams is based on, you know, on typical pricing, mostly in a hospital, university hospital system for those exams. When you get those exams, at, you know, I always tell people that they're, you know, having, you know, shin pain. Yeah, shin splints. Yes, you can, you know, not run for a few weeks but you're going to lose conditioning. Why not just get a quick $237 MRI or what, you know, $400 MRI and see if you need to quit or, you know, if, if that's it, or if it's just myofascial and you need, you know, a good massage therapy. So I think, you know, the price affordable, the affordability of imaging makes a big difference in what makes sense for screening. And so if, you know, if you're screening groups of people, I think carotid intimal thickening, and then if that's abnormal, you move on to a calcium score. We had a group of firefighters recently. They're at increased risk for lung cancer at an early age and for coronary artery disease. You know, they should probably have a CT, you know, low-dose CT chest that extends through the coronary arteries. Uh, you know, 
So, so there, you know, I, I think you have to customize it for the population. Um, a fatty liver is one that um, is, you know, it's epidemic. I'm seeing it in kids all the time. If somebody loses 10 pounds, their risk of metabolic syndrome goes down dramatically. You know, so that's a that's a kind of a game changer. But I really like I, and I can't even remember the person's name. But I demoed a piece of AI software that was it was a chest CT basically, and there were so many things they could do cardiac chamber sizes. It was they were really focused on pulmonary um, changes. They were on fibrosis, on emphysematous changes, on quantifying those. But there were so many other things that they could you know thyroid volume. Um, aortic diameters, you know, there are just so many things that happen in the chest. It's kind of the conduit from the bottom to the top of the body. And there's so many things there that, you know, can be quantified and used as screening. So I, I think calcium score CT, you know, we really should, everybody should probably have one between 40 and 50. Um, and especially if they're a smoker, especially if they have a family risk, but even so, you know, women's symptoms for heart disease are, are very different than men's. You know, women aren't taken as seriously for heart disease. So at least, you know, get one in your 40s to 50s, one in your 50s to 60s. You know, beyond that, yes, I see people getting them. I see people getting them in their 70s, but you're, you know, and the statins do have an impact. You know, we do see some reversal. Um, so that's not, it's not silly, but, you know, it really makes sense to start early um, and, and get these things taken care of early. They're just, you know, they have been a game changer. Right. You know, I, I did that. You know, I've got a, a history of heart disease in my family. So, you know, I did the calcium scoring. Gosh, the first time was probably oh, 12, 13 years ago. You know, when it, and yeah, of course, as I expected, it wasn't great. And so, uh, you know, being here at the hospital, we offer it as well. So a couple of years ago, I, my, some of my staff said, hey, you need to come in. Okay, sure. I go in there and, and, you know, it's never good when your tech walks your your results down to your office and says, uh, boss, you need to take a look at this. And so, you know, you talked about statins. I, I was uh, fortunate enough that that was that was the intervention that my cardiologist chose. And so, you know, hopefully those two super statins have, have worked a little bit. But, you know, I mean, this this is something it's so easy. Uh, you know, and, and it's it, it is out of pocket, but it's it's quite inexpensive to give you not only peace of mind if you're fortunate enough not to have issues, but also to let you know, hey, you know, you need to get started working on this and getting this taken care of as quickly as possible. So, so, uh, so let, let's you know when we were talking back and forth before we went on the air, you threw out a couple of topics you. You didn't know how radical I wanted to get. And I got to be honest, I like to get kind of radical every now and then. So so let's talk about let's talk about what can physicians do to become independent again? I want to hear your take on that. And that's an interesting one. And, and it's a, a needed message, I think, as physicians are burning out. They don't really have to leave. Um, there are a lot of things that can be done. The really interesting one is direct primary care, which is a, a major movement in this country. Subscription-based primary care, and so you know, right now the average primary care visit is seven minutes, and you know, people can bring up basically one topic, and they get their blood drawn, and they have to come back for results. Subscription-based primary care is really wellness um, care, 
the incentive of the member, the incentive of the physician, and then if it's employer-sponsored, the incentive of the employer are all aligned. They're all to save money long-term and optimize health and um, provide that 24-7 care that keeps people from needing to go into the hospital, keeps people from getting bad disease, um, you know, keeps things from worsening, keeps somebody with COVID, you know, out of the hospital and, and outpatient care, you know, with, with outpatient breathing therapy. It's just, it's an amazing shift in how primary care is practiced. And it's a re really a return to old fashioned care. It's much more Marcus Welby where, you know, you reach your doctor on the cell phone uh, 24 seven. And, you know, it's amazing. My friends who are DPC doctors, you know, we say, how many, how often do you get interrupted at night? And they say, very seldom. Them a couple of times a year because their patients respect that. You know, it's not like a doctor who's, you know, who, who they, you know, they know they're calling the answering service at night. It, it's really a nice movement. And then there are physicians across the country in different specialties. We consider what we do direct radiology care. And then, you know, I know a rheumatologist who's practicing in multiple states with telehealth. Uh, she's offering the, the imaging through us, she's got a lab resource an infusion resource. Um, you know, there are all kinds of practices that are, you know, I think endocrinology, the chronic practices are really the ones that lend themselves the most to, um, to subscription base. But, you know, and then if, if not, you know, if you're an interventionalist, you know, bundled surgeries, bundled procedures, um, or, or, you know, bundling care for even an acute, you know, if you're a pulmonologist and somebody's got had recent COVID, you know, bundling a series of visits. You know, there are all kinds of creative ways to get things back in, um, back in sync as a physician and get financial control back. And I think that really, um, you know, a lot of doctors are not educated about how to run a practice. There is a company called Freedom HealthWorks that has helped manage these practices. They'll help DPC doctors set up I actually know a DPC practice in San Antonio that's looking, they've got a panel ready, you know, a, a thousand patients or whatever it is ready for a doctor uh, for DPC. Um, and somebody else, I think, said that they have a full panel ready to go. So their practice is set up for doctors who are ready to do it. And, and I, you know, I, that's my other alternative as I move toward retirement at some point. Um, I, you know, I, I did an internship. I could go back. And I think as a radiologist who knows a lot about all kinds of medicine, I think I'd be a pretty good DPC doctor. So you know, that's another alternative. I, I always am glad that I did, you know, not all radiologists do an internship, but I've always been glad that I could at some point, if I ever wanted to hang up a shingle and whether that's volunteering in a clinic or whatever that is. That's tremendous. Yeah. You know, and, and I, you talked about the, the specialists and, and the chronic specialists, and, and you know as well as I do, uh, we've got such a shortage in, in many of the subspecialties, and frankly, most of them. And, and so, you know, if if I've got if I've got diabetes, you know, I'll be honest with you, with the advent of you know when the pandemic came aboard and everybody got a lot more comfortable with telehealth. I don't care if my endocrinologist is, you know, 200 miles away. It doesn't matter. And in a lot of locations, that's your only option. The you know, so, and the best yeah. option, frankly, in a lot of situations. Yeah. Well, and, and I know here here in Waco, 
you know, we're a town of about 165, 170,000 in a county of about 270. We have one neurologist, one, and that's it. And so, you know, uh, and, and he's, he's, he works tremendously hard. He's doing everything he can. But, you know, you and I both know neurology has gotten to be so sub-sub-specialized over the last decade that, that it's really hard to recruit that outpatient neurologist. And so if there's a way to fill that in with tele, telehealth, you know, we're, we're certainly we're in the midst of that now here at the hospital. We have to uh, have our inpatient stroke patients followed by telehealth. And it's not ideal, but that's that's what we're where we are right now. So it's a wonderful option to have. Yeah, and, it really. Is. I will say with the you know the the ability to do the AI and the you know and the ICU monitoring, and you know so much of that knowledge base that wouldn't have been there previously. That that's actually what my son does. Is for a company that does. Um, he's he's a data analyst for a company that does AI for ICU monitoring. You know, and I went to a couple of conferences in Chicago uh, back in March, and it seemed like every other topic was about AI. And, and so it's just fascinating. Uh, you know, I I remember about 23 or so years ago when I was in Nebraska, we had somebody come in from Abbott Labs talking about this crazy thing called the Human Genome Project. And we're all looking at each other, go, this is crazy. This will never happen. I'm telling people, this is kind of the same thing with AI right now. Wait, you know. Uh, five, 10 years down the road, we're going to, we're not going to think anything about it. So, yeah. well, hey, Kristen, we're getting uh, close to the end. Any final thoughts, uh, words of wisdom for uh, my audience? You know, I, I think it's, 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 we, we, the change in healthcare is there. The, you know, we've got great healthcare. We have to find a way to make it affordable again. And for, for people, for employers, and, you know, the employers can save so much money by making a few moves that they can actually put that back into wages. You know, the, the increased cost of healthcare is the reason for wage stagnation the past 20 years. And so, you know, get that across. Doctors need to think about how to, you know, to work independently again. That doesn't mean that we're, we don't need hospital systems. We just don't need to be employed by them, maybe. As you know, we don't need for 70% of us to be employed by them. So I think the change is out there and the opportunities are out there. You just have to be creative. Well, that's excellent. Number one, thanks for doing what you do. Uh, I've, I've been incredibly impressed with, with talking with you and reading your website and seeing everything. So, and I love following you on LinkedIn. You know, uh, you, you obviously have great comments. And so I encourage people to follow you on that. So so Dr. Kristen Dickerson from Green Imaging, thanks for joining me here on I Don't Care today. Thanks, Kevin. So nice to see you. You too. It's been a lot of fun. Well, here we go, folks. That was another great episode of I Don't Care. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next time. Uh, so take care. Kevin Stevenson signing out. Mm-hmm.